We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Brett Pollard, Mr. and Mrs. Howard. Hello. Every horse is good for something. You don't throw a whole life away just because it's banged up a little. Look at us! Our horse is too small, our jockey is too big. Everybody loses a couple, and you either pack up and you go home or you keep fighting. All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Banduho. Uh, real quick, want to take a big thanks to everyone who, who checked out our Eastbound and Down rewatch. Really enjoyed uh, going back doing season one. Haven't ruled out doing the rest season two, three, and four yet. Um, but but wanted to get back into movies. Uh, big shout out to my co-host Jeremy Loss on that. Uh, it was it was a fun rewatch. Hope everyone enjoyed it. Thanks to everyone who who reached out to uh, to talk about Kenny Powers with us. Uh, you will hear Jeremy and our our season season finale guest Ben Cruz uh, later on this month to talk uh, talk one of our favorite movies that stars The Rock. But um, good time to get back into sports movies here at Big Screen Sports, doing what we do best. And joining me today to cover Seabiscuit, it is a returning guest. He joined me last year to cover Warrior, Dan Stupp from Play Virginia. Dan, thanks so much for returning to Big Screen Sports. No problem. Thanks for having me. Like I, we, we discussed last time, I'm a, a huge sports movie fan, so this is great. Yeah, no, and, and we discussed last time, you know, Warrior, I think I think for both of us, Warrior is just one of our, you know, favorite movies. I think Warrior's Hall of Fame for me. I think if, if I remember correctly, it was Hall of Fame for you as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously MMA, there, there's not a lot of good competition there, but I think even against other combat sports movies and, and just sports movies in general, like th- there's so much to like about that film. Yeah, and in today with Seabiscuit, we're covering another movie where there's not a whole lot of, of competition in that sport. Before we get into it, uh, tell the folks where they can find you, what you're doing at Play Virginia. Yeah, I'm uh, here in Virginia. Uh, we uh, we just recently uh, got legalized casino gambling and sports betting, and, and sports betting actually just launched in the, in the past week. So I'm kind of covering that industry, uh, obviously, for Play Virginia, which is part of uh, Katina Media. 
Um, but yeah, kind of just making the shift from sports to, to sports betting. So it's, it's been fun. And obviously this is, uh, used to be a, a real popular area for, uh, horse racing. And, and we still have a, a really unique thing called, uh, historic horse racing, which is kind of like slots. But anyway, this was kind of the perfect topic, just covering gambling and, and horse racing and, and betting. This just, uh, seemed to fit the bill. Are they doing table games in Virginia or just slots? They will be doing uh, table games. Um, four cities uh, pa- or uh, did uh, voter referendums to, and uh, all of them by a two to one margin uh, legalized it. So Danville, Bristol, uh, Portsmouth, and Norfolk are all opening casinos in 2022 or 2023, and then uh, Richmond has their vote uh, in November. So. Uh, they haven't opened yet, but yeah, we'll, we will have full-fledged casinos with, uh, you know, entertainment complexes, table games, kino, poker rooms, all the good stuff. That is just something you've you've loved to see. Uh, Texas needs to to get with the program on the table games, but Dan, let's get into it. Uh, we're talking Sea Biscuit, the 2003 horse racing movie. True story of the undersized Depression era racehorse whose victories lifted not only the spirits of the team behind it, but also those of their nation is based on the 1999 book by Laura Hildebrand, Seabiscuit, and American legend star Toby Maguire, Jeff Bridges, Elizabeth Banks, William H. Macy, and Chris Cooper, written and directed by Gary Ross, was nominated for seven Oscars, including Best Picture. Uh, just a, a phenomenal film, really. Um, kind of kind of interesting when you, you think about the Best Picture nominees of that year. It's, it's the year Return of the King win, wins, which... For me, I don't know about you, Return of the King was my, it's still good, my my least favorite of the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yeah. But it's it's tied in with uh, Mystic River is that year, Master and Commander is that year, and uh, Lost in Translation is that year. And there, there's one more, but it's it's interesting that like, th- this isn't a movie, I mean, you don't, you don't see a lot of movies like Seabiscuit, but also it making it all the being, you know, one of the five nominees for Best Picture. Um, very, very interesting. When you first saw this one, Dan, what, what was this one? Did you, was this something you, that you instantly took to? Yeah. I mean, I think within like 15 or or 20 minutes into the movie, you just, you realize that, um, you know, they, they got the time period. So right. Like I'm a huge Jeff Bridges fan. Um, just kind of, I knew from the get go, I was like, oh, this is going to be a a really great movie. Like I'm, I'm really going to enjoy this. And I had, uh, read the book, uh, kind of right before I had seen it. Um, so I figured if it was anything like the bro, the book, it it was going to be a a great film. And just, uh, like I said, the, the score, the actors, the, the movie, the, the, the way it was mostly true to the book. I just, I, I loved everything about it. Yeah, it's similar to Cinderella Man in a way, and it's another movie that I really enjoy in that uh, they get the the era, they get the depression, the, the desperation of it really well, and it, it lends itself to the effectiveness of the movie. Because Seabiscuit especially is is pulling that metaphor, the, the, the metaphor of the Great Depression, very heavy. It's a very heavy theme in the movie. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it almost feels kind of like its own... Uh, character, but I mean, it really set the st- scene at the the beginning of the movie. Just like you said, for that that feeling, just you know, really kind of understand what was happening, kind of in culture and, and society, and just the way things were. And they they captured that so well; it was great to see. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the IMDb trivia. So obviously, with a movie that that is based on a a real life event or real life 
real life horse uh, is going to have, there's a lot of stuff about, you know, this didn't happen or this was this way and stuff like that. It's an interesting IMDb trivia to look at. I tried to just pull a few kind of notable things that stood out to me. Um, two things about the the genealogy of the horses. Uh, War Admiral was played by one of his descendants, a gelding <laughs> named Verboom, which I thought was interesting. And then, while never stated in the movie, War Admiral and Seabiscuit were in the same bloodline and rather closely related. A stallion named Fairplay sired Manowar, and Manowar sired War Admiral at Hardtack. Hardtack was Seabiscuit's father, making Seabiscuit War Admiral's nephew. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, which in, in the movie also describes War Admiral as huge, close to 18 hands tall. In real life, War Admiral is about 15 hands tall, the same size as Seabiscuit. Those are two things that if they had included those facts in the movie and not and not twisted the thing about how, how tall War Admiral was, it, it hurts the movie, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think they were trying to convey just kind of uh, how intimidating he was and, and, and stuff. You know, he really was kind of larger than life at, at that time or, um, you know, the, the number one horse or, or whatever. So I kind of get that. But um, yeah, you know, it, thankfully they didn't really embellish and, and too many key points, but that, that probably was one of the bigger ones. Yeah, I mean, if if Ivan Drago would have been the same size as <laughs> Sylvester Stallone, like that wouldn't have, you know, you, you had to, they had to kind of lean into that. It's a very understandable change to make for the sake of the movie. Right, yeah. Uh, Gary Stevens, who plays jockey George Wolf, was awarded the George Wolf Memorial Jockey Award in 1996. Very uh, Gary Stevens, a very decorated jockey. Um, this one about how they film the races, because we'll, I think we'll, I'm sure we'll get into the the actual race action of this movie. A contraption called the Equisizer. Was used to film the close-up action. It resembled a hobby horse. It was a mechanical horse that had springs, a wooden head, and a carpet body. It was affectionately called the SSC biscuit. In reality, it is a 12 by 20 foot rolling platform with a steering wheel in the rear and the front. It simulated the rolling action of a horse, and yet it ran on rails around the track. It was powered by a 454 Chevy engine and can go at a speed of 40 to 50 miles an hour. A Whatever it took to get that thing made, it was completely worth it because one of the best things about this movie is the race action. And and it's just not that you're watching the races. And and I know it sounds cliche, but you really feel like I mean, you are in the middle of the race. You know, the 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 way they shot that and you know, I was watching it again over the weekend. It's just not the look at you know, they got the sound, the the movement, the motion, just uh, they, they I think better, you know, there there's not a lot of great horse racing movies out there, but um, you know, any future ones, if you want to be true to life, if you really want to make an impact, uh, Seabiscuit's at a really high bar for what you're going to have to accomplish during the race scenes. Yeah, this isn't, I mean, it, I haven't, you know, I saw it in theaters when I was, you know, 17 years ago when it came out, 18 years ago when it came out, but it, it's a definite movie that would have been the theater watching experience. It, it's one of those movies that would have been good for theater, like it, like an Inception or something like that. Like having that big surrounding, because like you said, exactly, you are in the race and they get these sounds and is, I can imagine that in a theater, it was just fantastic to see. Yeah, Absolutely. And uh, finally, it is the only Best Picture Oscar nominee that year that did not win any Academy Awards, which is which is interesting. But like uh, Return of the King, I think took home it took home a ton that year. I think Lost in Translation got um, Sofia Coppola the uh, Best Screenplay. I know Sean Penn won for Mystic River, and uh, 
I can't remember what the fourth one was. Oh, Master and, uh, Master and Commander, I'm sure, won for something visually. I love Master and Commander, but yeah. Uh, as far yeah, as far as Seabiscuit goes, for you, is it a Hall of Fame, All Star Starter, or Bench Warmer sports movie? I, I, I think it's a Hall of Famer, no doubt. And I'm not just saying that, you know, kind of as a sports movie, which kind of have their own criteria or the way. We, uh, you know, we consider a, a good sports movie or a, a bad one, but it's just a, a great movie all around, I, I think. And then when you compare it to, you know, other horse racing movies, it, it just makes it seem that much more special. Yeah, as far as horse racing movies, it is it is absolutely a Hall of Fame horse racing movie. I would give this one a strong all-star. There is a ton in this movie I really, really like. Um, I will say on rewatch, and I'm going to get into this, it did drag at time, like I, it was just very long and so much of it, I, there's so much in this movie I liked and so many scenes that I was, I was pumped to get to. There were just a few times where I'm like, ah, I, you know, I wish we were, we were at this sooner. It's, it is a very deliberate movie. I mean, it, it's, you know, it's, it's 141 minutes. It's almost two and a half hours long. So, um, but it, I mean, it's, it's a strong all-star borderline hall of fame for me. It's very good. I think they hit so many kind of chapters or, or eras of, of Seabiscuit that I was thinking it would kind of almost work as a mini series. But that's one thing I liked about the movie. It it, it didn't feel, you know, it's not two hours building up to just one event or, or one race. There, there really are some kind of uh, notable chapters of his career. And I'm glad that the, the big ones all got a little screen time. I think, you know, knowing the full Seabiscuit story, it wouldn't have made real sense if you just focused on one or two big races you needed to kind of get the whole picture in there yeah it is certainly better being almost two and a half hours long than being an hour and a half long yeah for sure um i had this question on the rundown is this the best horse movie of all time and then i started looking at horse movies and i was like one i haven't seen a lot of horse movies uh, I've seen War Horse. I've seen Hidalgo. I've seen Secretariat, but I don't remember it. And that was a very like Disney-fied kind of movie. Um, are there any other horse movies that stick yeah. out to you as, as great horse movies? Because I, I, for me, it's like there's there's really nothing there. I, I was going to say, I, I've got my little list. It was Secretariat, which, you know, the, kind of some of the negative aspects you mentioned. Uh, there's one similar to that Dreamer Um there was one I saw 15, 20 years ago. It may have been uh, right before Seabiscuit came out called Hidalgo, uh, which isn't kind of a traditional horse racing movie. But yeah, I mean, there's there's a few out there. It seemed like uh, quite a few kind of came out all in about a five or 10 year period. But um, I, don't, I don't think any of them really holds a candle uh, to Seabiscuit. Just not the story, but, you know, the way the way they shot it and just everything. It, it really is kind of in a class of its own. Yeah, I really, I remember really liking Hidalgo when it came out. That was, was Viggo Mortensen, but it, it, it's not something I remember as vividly as I remember Seabiscuit. Right, right. All right, well, let's get into uh, the best scenes in this one. I'm going to run through. I mean, it's a long movie. I got a lot of them. Uh, I'll you know run through them one by one. And you know, if I miss any of your favorites, by all means, stop me. I'm just going to go in chronological order. Starting with the the first scene, the introduction scene, the the rise of Charles Howard contrasted with the travels of Tom Smith, just two polar opposites as to where the world is heading. I thought it was a very good introduction to the characters. Yeah, I was uh, kind of reading a lot of reviews and just analysis of the movie, and they were uh, talking about one of the issues with the book was um, 
kind of how to take all three stories and, and make them one story. And I thought they did a, a really nice job of that. And like you said, just the, the opening scene alone kind of set the stage for that. Yeah. Bridges as Howard is instantly very endearing. He's got the, the optimism, the ambition. Um, and then, but Cooper as Smith, you've got him training that horse. Like they might as well just be on different planets, these two guys. And it's very interesting how they start them and eventually they become intertwined. Yeah, it, it worked so well, kind of how they, they weave that whole story together. And, and the, obviously the one with Red, too. Um, but yeah, it, it just worked. And, I, I, you know, I think um, it, it would have been easy for stuff like that to go wrong. I, I think the fact that you don't notice it or it just seems to fit really, you know, is kind of a uh, credit to the, the director and editor and everything, just putting it all together and making it uh, so co- cohesive. Mm-hmm. The the next one I have is the introduction of the the George Wolf Red Pollard friendship. It basically <laughs> the, the scene where it starts with him just busting up his story, and then uh, they have their their friendly chat mid race. It sets up a very of uh, uh, the the beginning to a beautiful friendship. I was gonna say that it's such a nice friendship and the way it plays out and the the care that they take with it. Um, you know, when you, like you said, when he, he was kind of, uh, busting up his story and, uh, everything, I, I thought maybe it was going to set up this big rivalry and stuff, but it really was kind of like a brother brother relationship. Yeah. Very, very good. Uh, the, the third scene I've got, and just another introduction is the backstory of Seabiscuit. And <laughs> it's really, it's a big chill moment when we meet him. It's 45 minutes into the movie. It's like Seabiscuit coming in the fog. It kind of comes out of nowhere. It's like when Tom Smith first laid eyes on Seabiscuit. It's a, it's a really incredible moment. The first time he saw Seabiscuit, the colt was walking through the fog at five in the morning. Smith would say later that the horse looked right through him, as if to say, what the hell are you looking at? Who do you think you are? He was a small horse, barely 15 hands. He was hurting too. There was a limp in his walk, a wheezing when he breathed. Smith didn't pay attention to that. He was looking the horse in the eye. Yeah, that's one of the things I really liked about the movie. And, and I read some other people mention it. They they always treated the horse as a horse. They didn't try to kind of give it human qualities or, or make it another character the way you, you think of a human. Um, but like you said, when he first when he finally shows up on the screen, it just feels like such a big moment. Mm-hmm. And it, it builds the same sympathy for Seabiscuit that we've gotten for the other characters because we've by that point we've seen Charles Howard, Howard's life kind of fall. We've you know we've seen his son die. We've seen you know everything that Red Pollard has been through. We've seen just generally that Tom Smith is kind of a loner. Uh, so we we've got the we've got these these ties and the sympathy for them. And it's like okay, well, how do you do this gradually for a horse? And they take us through you know, the, this horse's life, it just, it, it ends, and it ends with that side-by-side of Smith looking from Pollard to Seabiscuit, when it's yeah. like Seabiscuit's fighting off the guys trying to, you know, reel him in, and Red Pollard is swinging the, swinging the thing at those guys. <laughs> Toby Maguire does a, a great job, a lot of good exasperated swearing in this movie. Yeah, no, he, he's remarkable, and it just not, you know, I, I've always liked his acting and, and everything, but just, 
the the physical change he took too. I mean, just he looked and felt like a whole different person. Yeah, there's some good Toby Maguire. We're gonna get into that. <laughs> uh, the next scene I've got is Sea Biscuit's first race, where where Red kind of loses his shit mid race <laughs> when the guy said, you know, he fouled me. And, uh, and, but post race, Howard asks him, you know, what are you so mad at? Which is, it's very heavy handed. It's absolutely yeah. not about the race, but it, it's very, it's very much something that character needed to confront, you know, his, his abandonment and everything that's happened to him. And they, the movie chose to not do it in a subtle way, but I thought it was effective and it's a, it's a fun race. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I think kind of that scene told you more. We had gotten a lot of red up until then, but I think that scene especially really kind of played into the, that inner anger, but also that inner drive that he had. So uh, th- that was kind of the, the perfect place to, to really get to know the real him, at least as far as what kind of jockey he was and, and the, the demons he were he was battling with. Mm-hmm. The next scene I've got in it, I, it might be, you know, 40 minutes after that one. It's a ways. The next one I had was when Red and George are talking in the hospital about how to run Seabiscuit the race. Because you think after Seabiscuit's first race, it kind of goes into the the montage of winning races, uh, the the beginning of their kind of like dueling with with War Admiral's owner and trying to get that thing. There is the the race that he loses um, where, you know, he, he tells everyone that he's blind, but I, I was trying to be somewhat selective with best scene. There's, there's a lot of good moments in there, but I don't, I don't have anything that stands out to me as a scene until it is Red and George talking in the hospital. It's like, it's not that long, but I I love when, you know, he's talking about, you know, just show him the whip, don't show him on his left side. The part about making Seabiscuit look the other horse in the eye. it, It was very effective. Okay. You know how Smith wants you to fight for the lead by the first turn? Yeah. We were working with that bell. I was a little nervous about that. No, no, that's fine. But you gotta give it up on the back stretch. Give it up? Give him back the lead. He fights for it, Georgie. If you bring him head to head with that other horse and he looks him in the eye, there's no way he loses that race. You just hold him through that final turn and let him get a good look at the Admiral. Then let him go. It's not in his feet, Georgie. It's right here. Uh, you know, the, uh, the I think it was, what's the, the jockey's name, Wolf? Is it George, George Wolf? George Wolf. Um, I, I, I keep getting the, the actor mixed up with the real world jockey, but... Um, uh, anyway, I, I'm, I'm sidetracking, but, uh, you know, he, he wasn't in a, a lot of scenes, but, I, you know, I know he was a consultant on the film. And I, I think that conversation they probably had in the, the hotel or the hospital room probably was very similar to what the conversation would have been like in, in real life. And again, it just it shows that the care that they took with the movie and making sure they had actual horse people involved and, and were getting kind of the particulars right. But I think that's what made that scene so powerful. You really did kind of. Uh, picture or envision this like uh, jockeys club, you know. Um, so I don't know that that really came across. I, I'm glad they didn't kind of downplay the role uh, of the jockey or, or just everything that goes into it. Uh, just not riding and, and the adrenaline of race day. But, um, you know, I think that scene really captured kind of the emotion and heartbreak and 
and, and the sense of ownership, you know, of a horse that you probably feel. So, yeah, I can understand, you know, why the why that scene would have resonated with you. Yeah. So with the with George and Red talking this out so far in the movie, you haven't really heard much about jockey strategy or horse strategy kind of like you were saying you get there's a there's a little bit of um you know red gets uh you know berated for missing a hole or something like that but this is the first time that you really get a good breakdown it's good for people like like me who don't watch a lot of horse racing or you know just a casual viewer of this movie who it, it just it helps you to understand what they're really trying to do and especially with and it helps you understand the heart of sea biscuit of how if you you know if you line that horse up eye to eye with um you know with another their horse it you know the the heart of sea biscuit he'll win the race it's it's a very very uh, effective scene for sure yeah for sure um and yeah i i, I was going to ramble on but no I, I think you nailed it <laughs> the last two scenes i have are, are races the sea biscuit versus war admiral match race uh you know it's got the great build up and then what did you think about the start of the race where they they press the bell and then it just goes into the slow intro of black and white pictures of people listening to the radio. I, I loved it. I, I thought it was so effective and I, I don't think it, you know, I, obviously that's not how it would have happened in a book because you don't capture uh, stuff like that. But it, it just really felt like it was kind of coming out of the pages, which I, I think was such a nice kind of, uh, you know, I guess tribute to the book. But um, yeah, the fact that it didn't immediately cut into the to the live action, um, you know, we'll, we'll discuss it later on. But the narrator in this film, uh, usually I'm not a big narrator fan. I know a lot of people aren't. But I, I think uh, in this film, it just it made so much sense and added so much to the film. But uh, kind of all the horse calls, whether it was the narrator or, or the kind of the fictitious uh, play by play guy, uh, just everything. And especially that scene, just everything came together and worked. It's interesting with the narrator and the play by play guy. Cause the having the play by play guy is a very common sports movie trope. And when done well, it's very good. Cause it keeps you, it serves the same purpose as a narrator. Like they're, you know, they're playing the part of an announcer or radio guy or something like that, but they're really telling you what's going on in the movie and giving you background in a, in a, uh, in, you know, in an authentic way without having a narrator. This movie has both. Um, the narrator is actually David McCullough, the author of, you know, uh, 1776 for one, a book I actually mm-hmm. recently read, um, the John, the John Adams as well, like very interesting choice, very, uh, very good voice for it. Um, with, with the Seabiscuit War Admiral match race, the movie could have ended right there, honestly, mm-hmm. and, st- and still been good. Uh, but you get, you know, you get red, you know, breaks his leg, Seabiscuit hurts his leg. And that leads my final for best scene is the, the final race, the, the Santa Anita. Um, you know, I, like I said, I think the movie could be too long, but like when red gets back on Seabiscuit in that last time, you've been through so much with them. It is a great payoff. Yeah. And it's like you said, I, I just don't think that would have nearly the impact or, or feel as meaningful if you tried to cram all of that, you know, into an 80 or 90 minute runtime, it, it would have felt too rushed. You wouldn't have really gotten the kind of the emotional impact or, you know, it's so hard to build up in a movie to a, a comeback, especially a, you know, a lengthy one. Um, I'm, I'm so glad they had that extra time to, to really make it work like the way it needed to. Yeah. It's a, it's a really, it's a really good ending. Um, it's, there's certainly, uh, there's certainly good payoff. Um, everything is certainly, nothing's rushed. It's a, it's a very deliberate movie. Um, and it, it does pay off in that last scene. What is the best scene? of this movie for you. If you had to pick one, did I miss any of your favorites? 
No, I mean, I, I think you got them all. To me, the races, um, there, there was so much build up to it. Um, I, I personally love the uh, War Admiral one, I guess, uh, probably more than anything in the movie. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about it today, and I think part of the, the reason I like that race and that middle part of the movie so much is you really got a kind of this Ocean's Eleven vibe as they were trying to to prepare for this race and even going to the, the fire department to buy their bell because they, they were going to do a, a start like that. Just it was cool. And, and uh, Marcella, the, the character that uh, Elizabeth Banks plays, I, I think that's kind of uh, when she really kind of got some shine in the movie too. So yeah, my, my favorite scenes, just kind of everything around that war, war admiral race. And then the, the payoff of the race itself just made it all so worthwhile. They certainly don't let, uh, Elizabeth Banks cook much until that last scene. You're, you're very correct. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's between those two. Um, I, you know, I will say though, I, I really go back to the the scene of Red and George talking in the hospital. I think it's yeah. I, I think it's it's something I really this one. It, all these scenes are really good. There was a lot. It, it was it's a lot that I remembered too. Because sometimes you know, I'll come back to a movie. Oh, I forgot about this part. I really loved. I remembered a lot of. There's a lot of like very impactful moments in this movie. It definitely it makes its punches count. It's, it knows exactly what it's doing. No, it's funny. I, you know, especially on the weekends when I'm working, a lot of times I'll, I'll put movies on in the background, you know, and like I mentioned, I'm a big sports movie guy and I like that. It keeps me motivated kind of during the workday if it's a, you know, a weekend and, and not many people around. Um, but, uh, you know, th- that's one of those where uh, I hadn't watched it for a few years or if I, I haven't watched it for a few years and put it on. There's so many scenes that come back. Uh, other movies, it's like, oh, I totally forgot about that. I love this scene. But it seemed like two and a half hours, every Seabiscuit scene, I remembered it. I remembered why I liked it. Uh, almost within just a, a, a viewing or two, I felt like, you know, I knew most of the lines. Um, and, and that's probably a good sign of a movie. Just, you know, years later, so many different scenes stick with you instead of just, you know, kind of one or two. That That whole movie stuck with me. Yeah, there's got to be something to that because I, it's Seabiscuit is a movie that I haven't watched often but think about often compared to other movies. It's very interesting. Let's take a quick ad break and then get back with the most and least authentic sports-centric parts of the movie. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
All right, we're back. Um, getting into the most authentic part of this movie, uh, obviously with you know with a true story, there's you know there's certain you know a lot of times it's going to have a lot more authentic aspects, literally because they are just following uh, a playbook or a blueprint. What for you was the most authentic part of the movie from like a horse racing sports perspective? I mean, there was a lot that I really liked, and I mentioned before. I, I I'm glad that they didn't make the. Uh, the, the horse kind of a, a, a character or a human-like character. Or, you know, I, I remember some of the other sports movies that they just, or, or other horse racing movies, like the horse was made out to kind of be a person, which uh, kind of uh, always, I don't know, it, it, it bothers me. A lot of, dog, you know, dog movies are like that too. But I, I felt like they got so much authentic in this movie. Like we discussed just kind of the look of it, the, the clothing, the vernacular of the time. Um, all that stuff. But I, I think the most authentic thing was just the, the care and, and the preparation that they put into the, the race scenes. Um, you know, we discussed it earlier. You just, you, you really felt like you were in the race, competing in the race, hearing it and seeing it and feeling it. Um, you know, a lot of other, uh, you know, movies have done the horse races, but I don't think there's been anything kind of close to this, just the authenticity of it. And then also reading about the care that they took in, um, recreating the actual races where, you know, if the seventh place horse was in this position in the real race, that's exactly how it looked in the movie. They, they took, you know, you know, I was watching a little mini documentary on how they would map out the races and they had these, my little ponies on this, uh, you know, kind of little diagram they created and stuff, but it was just to make sure they got every kind of aspect that they could get right, that they did get it right. Uh, and, and I think that type of, you know, uh, commitment to the source material just it, it, you know i love movies especially one like this that straddles the line between like documentary and just you know regular film and at times this one felt like a documentary other times it felt you know big hollywood blockbuster and the fact that they could cram two movies like that into one uh you know it, it, it just paid off it worked so well yeah, I mean, you, the like like we've been saying with the action, you you feel right in there. They they do you, they do such a great job with the horse races. Uh, it's it seems like you could be watching one like you said earlier with the sounds you see you know the dirt flying. It's it's really well done. I also thought they captured the authenticity of why the horse's story resonated with America and, and mm -hmm. why the and why. You know the three, Char you know Charles Howard and Red Pollard and Tom Smith were so enamored with him, attached to him. Um, why you know why he resonated with them? It's because they they definitely they set this movie up where that that's their number one goal. Is this is you know it is not just that this horse was a plucky underdog and people liked him. It's because at that time people were desperate. People needed an underdog, and they they made sure to tie those two together really well. And I thought I thought they did a phenomenal job of that aspect. Yeah, and, and really kind of a, it, it all ties together. But uh, one thing, kind of part of the movie, I, it felt authentic, and I'm glad they included it. it. Was just kind of the the promotional side of horse racing. You know, I come from a, a mixed martial arts background. I covered that sport for a long time, and I, I see a lot of similarities. Just in that, you, you've got to give reasons. Uh, you got to give reasons for people to care about this athlete or this horse or this fighter. Um, and, and just the way that they set up the war admiral match race and, and kind of goading the other promoter or the other horse owner into it. Um, and, and then, you know, wanting to play on your terms and stuff like that. There was just so many similarities between the, the fight game and horse racing. And I realized, 
you know, obviously this is a film that takes place in the the 30s, but even today, you know, it's still about marketing and and promotion and and giving people a reason to care. Um, So I I felt that was a really kind of authentic uh, part of it. I'm glad they really hit on that to understand that you can have the fastest horse, uh, you know, but if people don't care, they're they're not going to care. Uh, to show up, to watch, to to follow you. And, and like you said, it, it just, you know, it, that, that kind of stuff really paid off in the end. It leads to one of my favorite moments in the film where uh, Charles is having Seabiscuit sign autographs and uh, <laughs> and gives out horseshoes. And then Tom Smith freaks out about not, not knowing where his horseshoes are. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's so, so many little things like that that paid off. And, you know, a lot of it was horse racing related, but, you know... Um, I, I I don't know. They they did so many things. Well, it, it, it's crazy. I have something for least. I I don't definitively know it's least, but it's a question I have for you. At the okay. last race of the movie, George drops his horse back so Sea Biscuit can take off, can see it and take off. Does George get fired after that? Like, it's if you're the owner of that horse and you see that <laughs> the jockey that you hired drop back to help his old horse and his friend like you've got to be super pissed right i i would think that i think the reason maybe it didn't bother me i i felt like before that race it was something he said like oh don't worry about me or it, it was something i the way i took it was just he, don't he said his horse yeah he this. said his horse had yeah. no chance but if you're the horse's yeah. owner <laughs> right. you're like hey i'm <laughs> I, I, I'm paying you probably a, a handsome sum because you're this Hall of Fame jockey to try to, like, w- you know, make some magic happen for me. I didn't want you to make magic happen for Seabiscuit. Right. No, I, I, I get that. Uh, you know, I, I, I could very easily see, you know, if I had taken kind of the, the, uh, that approach. But once he said, you know, uh, and maybe it's hindsight that, you know, he said he didn't stand a chance. I was like, oh, okay, he's just here to to kind of, you know, be a friendly face and, and don't expect him to win. So I don't know, as, as a viewer, that it, you know, I was able to just kind of discount it. Yeah, for the functionality of the movie, it, it worked perfectly. Did, was there anything that stood out to you as not being authentic? The thing that bothered me more than anything, and, and I kind of hate that I even realized it because I, I don't like thinking uh, any less of the movie because I do care about it so much. There is no mention of betting and... You know, if if you want to get into the culture of horse racing and the reason that so many people uh, go to the races, uh, it, it is for the betting. It, it's such a huge part of the sport. Um, you know, I was even reading on, on Seabiscuit how it, it kind of how he sparked kind of a, another wave of, of amateur sports betting and, and bookies and, uh, you know, just everyone wanted to have a wager on it. Um the the fact that I think there was one comment, uh, you know, one of the other horse owners or something, you know, said something like, well, of course he feels that way. He owns it or, or something like that. Or I know who you're betting on. I think that was the comment. A guy said to, uh, you know, uh, Howard that, uh, you know, I, I know who you're betting for. And that was the only reference to gambling in the entire movie. And for an industry that is 10% racing and 90% wagering and betting, uh, it, it just seemed a little off, inauthentic to, to just completely discount and ignore the role that, that betting plays into this sport. Yeah, they mentioned Seabiscuit's odds in his first race, and they mentioned the odds against uh, War Admiral, but that nothing about how important it is, like why it's driving people to the tracks at all. 
Uh, they, yeah. they, you know, they, they do act like people are just coming to watch a race, not because people are coming to, to gamble on the race. Uh, one other thing that was just, you know, the movie glosses over, it wasn't very authentic that it was not a dread, but like, you know, someone behind their back would be like, so, uh, Charles really married his son's wife's sister, huh? Because that is, that is what happened. Marcella was <laughs> the older sister of his son or his son's wife. And was, I think, half his age. I think he was 52 when she was 25. I mean, there's a clear age yeah. difference. But it is, uh, and it did not go, it was not as smoothly as he got divorced and then he met Marcella. That is that is not the order in which those things happen. But it, it would have taken <laughs> away from how you felt about the character and how you felt about Marcella if, if how things transpired in real life were depicted on the screen. I, I think... For the movie, it was the right call. We didn't need to. We didn't need to know, really. Yeah, and I think kind of their initial meeting, just uh, the reluctance, and that you know, supposedly he was in a bad space, and and she was too, and they just uh, bonded over their mutual love of horses. Like that's definitely one of those things where they took a, a little creative liberty um, and didn't stick exactly with the worst material. But like you said, you, you know, if there's anything to take some liberties with to make it a little more. I guess, digestible for mainstream audiences that, you know, I guess that makes sense why they did it that way. Yeah. And anyone involved with the story was dead. It wasn't like Charles Howard's widow was going to be out there in the papers. Like this is not what happened. (laughs) That is, (laughs) that is not at all what happened. Um, So what else for this one? What that we haven't discussed yet? What worked for you? What, What stands out? What makes this one a hall of famer for you? You know, it's real funny. I used to work for the the Cincinnati Reds and, um, you know, one of many jobs that I loved, but I I loved being at the ballpark. I got to do so many cool kind of weird jobs, um, you know, on on behalf of the Reds. And one of them was I I worked a bit with uh, the people who came to the the Cincinnati Reds ballpark to shoot Mr. 3000 uh, with Bernie Mac. Shout out Bernie Mac. Missed that man so much. And... You know, I was involved in a a few meetings and stuff where they were going to shoot some scenes during an actual Reds uh, game, a a Thursday afternoon game. And I remember sitting in some of those meetings, just, you know, they were kind of, you know, seeing where they can shoot from and and just flow of the game and and when they could shoot stuff. And and just seeing them try to prepare for scenes with crowds and, and how difficult it was and uh, the amount of, of effort and coordination that went into it, and then watching Seabiscuit and seeing how many of those scenes had big crowds. You know, it's one of those things where I'm always looking for, you know, uh, someone with a cell phone in their hand or a Nike logo, just something that sticks out where it's like, oh, okay, we got them. That's not authentic. This is why. But so many of those scenes, I, I couldn't find anything to, to, um, you know, to, to, to kind of crap on it or uh, anything that was out of place. And it just, it felt so well organized and that, that movie would not have been the same if you didn't have some of those big crowds at the, the pivotal races. So uh, again, I can't even imagine the logistics that went into the horse racing, but everything else on top of it, they, they just excelled. Yeah, shout out to cinematographer John Schwartzman does an incredible job. You're right in the action. He also did the rookie. It was the movie he did before this with Dennis Quaid, where oh, okay. the only drawback of the baseball in that movie is just Dennis Quaid, which the, you know, like with this one, he doesn't have to worry about anyone not looking like athletes because the horses look great. They run like horses. Uh, Dennis Quaid doesn't throw like a baseball player. But as far as 
how he he compensates for that and the rookie does a very good job and this one I, I think is even better I, I think it is you know it's it's phenomenal he, he gets into it uh, something else they did great with this one I kind of got in I kind of already said this but like the depiction of the crash and and just the life in the Great Depression the the desperation of it you know the heavy metaphor but like how they depict the crash it starts with that f- Howard does that toast to the future and then right away there's the phone ringing that uh, you're you're meant to believe is someone calling to be like hey the stock market's crashing but um, it sets the tone of the movie it's you know it's important it's important that you see hope and promise before the fall I think because you see. You know, Red had had this great life with his parents, and Charles Howard is on the up and up. And you see why these people need to be inspired by Seabiscuit. Like the moment where Red's parents give him away, like as a parent, like that wrecked my soul watching that. That that was brutal. And and there's just like a three second spot in there where he's so happy watching the races and knowing. He, he may be able to get a ride the horses and then turns and sees his parents and, and tears are coming out of their eyes. And it's like he instantly realizes that they're going to abandon them. They're, they're going to leave them there. And just there's so much emotion packed into that five second sequence. It's just it's amazing. They do a great job of showing that life is kicking the shit out of Red Pollard. Yeah. And it, in the whole country, kind of everybody, it, it was, you know, I, I think especially his, you know, his story. But. Uh, like you said, kind of the depression was just in the, the state of the country at that time. It was such a pivotal part kind of of why Seabiscuit became, you know, the, the phenomenon he was that I, I'm so glad that they captured that. So well. and, and they also captured Tobey Maguire at, at his peak, essentially, as an actor. Right in between Spider-Man 1 and Spider-Man 2, he's probably one of the hotter young names in Hollywood. Um, you know, like he... This is as famous as Toby and powerful as Toby Maguire gets because it's kind of been a mixed bag since uh, Spider-Man three kind of sucked. Uh, he did Brothers, which was good. And he's kind of he's kind of been in and out. He kind of hasn't done a ton since this, at least a ton notable. He was uh, I think the the thing that he's been most noted for kind of since this or since Spider-Man is being portrayed by Michael Sarah in uh, in Molly's game <laughs> as a shithead yeah. gambler, shithead poker player. I think other than that, you know, it's this is about as good as it gets for Tobey Maguire. But this movie lands, you know, probably a top three actor in Hollywood at that time in terms of just popularity because like Spider Man was huge. Yeah, and I, I think just a few years before uh, Seabiscuit was also Cider mm-hmm. House Rules, which I, I, I love that movie, and he's so good in that. That yeah, it, it's funny, kind of how he's dropped off a bit. It's funny you mentioned Molly's game. That whenever someone mentions his name, that's now the first thing I think. Of. Yeah, it's his Michael Sarah, which is <laughs> it's really really tough get. Like I, I love Michael Sarah. He's not the guy that you like be like, oh yeah, Michael Sarah is playing me in a movie, and it, he's very much. <laughs> I, I think the last thing I remember really seeing him in was the the Great Gatsby remake. But that I mean that's Leo yeah. DiCaprio's movie. Right. Yeah. Uh, the entire cast in general, though, stand out. You had talked earlier, Jeff Bridges, like he's almost always good. Even if his movies are not good, Jeff Bridges is always good. Like, and it's nice seeing kind of some cheerful optimism and, and capability from his character. Cause like, it's not the dude, it's not his character from crazy heart or from true grit who are basically the same guy, but they just live like 200 years apart or 150 years apart. Gruff, gruff and burnout. And, and yeah, like I love seeing the, any 
role of his with the sparkle in the eye and the optimism like that. That's especially the Jeff Bridges. Yeah, it's like a natural heir to his role from Tron. Yeah, yeah. I, it just that he, he really lights up the screen. And, and, you know, he is that kind of that voice that you need to, to counter the, the depression, literal, you know, literal, the Great Depression and just the, the country's depression. And, you know, I know it gets a little hokey and, and cheesy at times, him talking about the future in the movie. And, and, you know, uh, getting to the finish or the finish line, the future is the finish line and, and, uh, pulling yourself up by the bootstraps and all that stuff. But no, nah, I just, I, I love his character in this movie and you need that optimism to balance so much of the, the heartbreak that's going on in the movie. Exactly. You need the eternal optimist. Uh, they, uh, they also yeah. catch Chris Cooper coming off an Oscar. So there, I mean, he had just won the Oscar for adaptation. This is his follow up. He's excellent. Uh, William H. Macy just Throw him in the the sports movie announcer performance, you know, hierarchy is very, it's right up there with Bob Ecker in Major League. Honestly, it's a very effective performance. Um, you know, the, he's got like those great 1930s quips. Like I love seeing the behind the scenes of him doing the sound effects and, and, you know, doing the, it's something when, uh, when Seabiscuit is has is like on on a roll or whatever, it's right before you know who's he going to race Pegasus like stuff like that. I just I, I really loved. Yeah, I, I remember them. I was reading about the the movie and how they were kind of scared about uh, bringing his character to life in the film. You know, a, a soft smoking guy where you know uh, doesn't say a lot, doesn't show a lot of emotions, but I, obviously he he's such a phenomenal actor. But I, I think the material he was working with, the way they wrote him. Uh, just giving these, giving him these little one-liners or these looks or, or just something like, I mean, that guy really carried his role in that movie with just, you know, lo- not even his words, just the, the the look in his eye and stuff like that. That was such a, a great role. And so many people would not have been able to pull that. No, out. it's, I mean, it's just a very well cast movie. They, um, they got a lot of actors right when they needed to get them. Um, just, just quality, like Maguire's very good, and but he was also uh, he was also the name. I think even more so than Bridges at that point. And then uh, they they just get a lot of guys who constantly turn in good performances. I, I was looking at Rotten Tomatoes over the weekend. I, I thought for sure it was going to be a movie, you know, ninety five percent rating or whatever. And I think it was seventy six percent or or somewhere around there. So I really went in to look at the the reviews to understand why it seemed so much lower. And I, I think. I think a lot of people were grading it on a curve because of, of Tobey Maguire and Jeff Bridges and the, and the big budget. Um, you know, I, I think people forget too, you know, the, the movie came out, I think it was about four years after the book came out, uh, Laura Hillenbrand's book, it, which is just phenomenal. I, I mean, uh, it, like, it, I, I think people forget how popular the book was and it wasn't just a popular horse racing book. It was just a, the like one of the biggest books of the year, um, you know, so I, I think that one, two punch of, of the really, really popular book and then the movie. So expectations were super high. So I, I don't know. I think if people go and, and research the book or they, they see the rating and it's not, you know, in the nineties or even high eighties, then maybe they get the wrong impression. I just think people really graded this film on a curve, you know, and probably rightfully so, but I, I think it's so much better than maybe some of the, the uh, critic scores would lead you to believe. This one would make a great cable rewatch and it's not on cable much. You wouldn't lose anything cuz it's not it's not vulgar, it's not violent so that you would be able to play the entire thing. 
And it has so many of these moments where I, I think it would really have a second life of appreciation in if it got on cable because you could be like, yeah, you know, I'll stick out 40 minutes or so because there's a there's a great part or scene that gives me the chills coming up. Um, I, I think maybe why it doesn't get as much cable rerun as it is long. It is probably a four hour movie on cable. Like I, I looked the other day, my cousin Vinny is almost three hours on cable. <laughs> now, funny enough, I was flipping through the channels over the weekend and, and Seabiscuit was on, I think it was either Fox Sports 1 or Fox Sports 2. And, um, you know, I, they show a fair amount of horse racing, you know, America's Day at the Races, I, I think that is on Fox Sports 2. So I don't know if that's why they had it on, but it was just so funny. I remember thinking that too, like, I bought the DVD and, uh, and the digital one, and, and that's usually what I watch. And I was thinking that, too. I was like, oh, wow, you, I don't remember ever really seeing this movie on a, on a cable channel like that. Yeah, it seems like it'd be a good TNT run. Yeah. Um, did you have anything that, that didn't work for you in this one? No, I mean, the lack of bet, betting, um, you know, I think was kind of a miss there. And it played a little more prominently in the book. Um, you know, I, I know William H. Macy got a lot of credit for the, the TikTok McLaughlin uh, thing. I, to me, it seemed a little hokey. I, I've gone back and watched it and, you know, I've, I've warmed up to it a bit. I, I think maybe one reason I, I'm not real huge on it was it, it was kind of the only truly fictitious character in the entire movie. And I'm sure... Uh, they they wrote it to kind of take care of a lot of characters to help set scene uh, set scenes and especially a lot of the media promotional stuff. But um, I don't know. I, I think it walks such a fine line between uh, super entertaining and super super hokey. But I, I'll let it go. I, I think in the end, it probably is good that it was in there. It's interesting because I guess if you take out that character or at least take out a lot of what that character does, I'm wondering. I, I would guess then they lean more on the narrator to set up a lot of the stuff that TikTok McLaughlin sets up. So it's interesting they have them both. The narrator is, a, is certainly a much more somber, more serious tone. So it would I, it, it would be interesting to see if there was like a just a narrator only cut. Yeah, and at that point it probably would be a little overkill. And and you bring up a good point. Like uh, their deliveries are are so polar opposite that you probably do need both of them to, to really set the scene. And, and honestly, you know, a lot of movies, you, you see the headlines, you, you, you see the media barking out questions and, and there's plenty of that, but I, I think he really kind of played the role of, of reporter and, and his, you know, uh, real, real time historian. So, uh, I don't know. I'm sure they could have worked from uh, real world examples, maybe some of the reporters and, and work that in, but just kind of having that one consistent voice, uh, kind of, you know, uh, feeding off Jeff Bridges character, you know, during pivotal interviews and the radio interviews and stuff. So I, I don't know. I, I hate to even bring up that I said that maybe that wasn't something that worked because I, I do understand it. But uh, again, that's me grading it on a curve. I know he actually got some award consideration for that, that small role, but uh, it, it was definitely kind of different from everything else in the movie. Yeah, well, when the movie is this good, it's like when we did Warrior. When it, when it's this good, you you have to nitpick to find right. stuff that didn't work. It's not like there's a laundry list. Like you know, I will say I, I thought it. You know, it's almost two and a half hours. I would have you know when when we finally get to see Biscuit, I'm like, oh, this was a great moment. You know, could they have gotten to it? You know, maybe five minutes sooner. Is there some other stuff like we? They really lean into Red Polliter's getting the shit kicked out of him in life. Did we need all the you know that to know? 
Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I mean, the movie is very deliberate. It's it's a little slower than I remember. But with that, with there's a trade-off in that you get great payoff in a lot of these scenes that they're building up to. Um, there's certainly nothing where you don't see it coming, and there's not there's not any sort of any sort of payoff or any sort of breadcrumbs leading you to that to where you you feel every moment fully. So, you know, maybe not. I mean, in thinking about the. I, I certainly think compared to the the movie that won the Best Picture Oscar that year, like I think Lord of the Rings: Return of the King is way too long, way too long. And I get that you know there's a there's a, a you know a, a text that they were pulling from and stuff like that. But so it's not like that. It's not to where the first time I saw Return of the King, I was like, you know, this, you know that movie was was really really good. That was just that was really really long. Like I was ready for it to be over. Um, I was not ready for Sea Biscuit to be over. Yeah, yeah. Actually, something you said just reminded me of something I was going to mention too that I thought was uh, done surprisingly well was the the boxing scenes, the fighting scenes, and maybe not so much uh, the actual boxing. You know, there wasn't much defense in those, and, and the punches were set up, but uh, kind of the aftermath of a fight when a guy is bloody and bruised and just has this. Uh, blank stare on his face and and you know that, that thousand yard stare um uh, you know just the the physicality of what life is like after you've gotten physically the the crap beat out of you i i think they captured that really well because there are a few uh you mentioned he, he, the, the movie he's just getting beat up so much and and the, the worst part of it is just the boxing and watching him just get you know get it handed to him and and like i said that they captured it so well the the hours afterward when he's just got that you know that dejected physically and mentally beaten look on his face and and i think they captured that really well Mm -hmm. the only other thing for me that didn't work and elizabeth banks doesn't get a lot to do there's not a lot of female presence that she is Mainly just her main purpose was getting Charles Howard out of his funk as opposed to letting the personality of that character, you know, shine and get her out. I think that that's the one thing by the time, you know, she has that emotional thing before the last race, you know, I can't, you know, playing with the toy and the ball not staying in the hole. It it doesn't really land because you have no emotional collateral built up with that character. I, I was going to say, you you understood how they got together and, and how that worked, even if it was a, a little superficial. But one thing that didn't work for me, um, like you said, I, I couldn't understand why they were still together, you know, other than maybe it felt more convenience than a, a true connection that came across, you know, on screen. So... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I could watch that movie and be like, yeah, I could see how they're, they're compatible despite the age difference and, and everything. But I, I just wish they would have spent a little more in the middle of the movie, uh, explaining how they, they kept that bond from just the initial kind of physical, uh, attraction. Yeah. You're told to believe it instead of led to believe yeah, it. Yeah. Um, as far as the Kevin Costner and Freddie Prince Jr. awards for best and worst on-screen athlete, I think it's easy to say all the horses. The horses look great. They look like racehorses. Yeah, and, and I was real. I didn't realize. I think there were like twelve or thirteen uh, Sea Biscuits and and three or four War Admirals, and you know they had the the Sea Biscuit who was really good at um, you know uh, pretending to fighter trainers. You had the one who was. Uh, really good at running fast on the track. And they said that their favorite sea basket was the one 
that they brought in strictly because the sea biscuit uh, was really good at just relaxing in the in the stall. So I, I think that's a sea biscuit I would have liked to meet on set. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Lenny Harris Pinch Hitter Award for Best Supporting Character. I've, I've got a lot of nominees. Uh, David McCullough that as the narrator. I think he's got an excellent voice for that. Uh, Gary Stevens is George Wolf. I love that he was both a consultant for the movie and in the movie. Real Life Jockey, U.S. Racing Hall of Famer. Uh, William H. Macy is TikTok McLaughlin. Chris Cooper as Tom Smith. And th- this one is is not really for his character, but I just had to mention that Ed Lauder, who plays one of Charles Howard's friends in Tijuana, just like one of his boys <laughs> who's always out there watching racing with him, is uh, the coach from Not Another Teen Movie who just loves saying God damn it, which is one of my favorite favorite sports movie characters of all time <laughs> yeah no that your first two were kind of mine too the uh um you know the the narrator and um uh the the jockey i i, I felt those two were really good there was another one too i was thinking oh the the owner of war admiral um i, I forget his name yet. oh yes uh that is um Oh, he is. Uh, he just died last year, too. He did. He did, and he's in. Um, he's in something else where he's. Uh, uh, what is, What is his name? You, you go. I. I will. I, I. I had it written down, and then I lost it. Eddie Jones. Eddie Jones. He's in. He's in something else, but I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, he's been. But I, he's. Uh, he's Mr. Riddle, the. Yeah. Uh, the. The owner of War Admiral. He. He's just. He. He's smooth. Like I love that. They really captured in the movie he knew how to to talk to the media and kind of, you know, get the one-liners out there that he knew would be in the papers and stuff. Like, he played that role so well and they wrote it so well. that I forgot that was kind of a hidden gem of the, the, of the film. Yeah, he is Marla Hooch's dad in a league that's of their it. own. That's it. Yeah, that's that's the guy. That is it. Um, I think I think my favorite is, is sneaky Gary Stevens is George Wolf, the guy who's not actually a, you know an actor up there with Macy and Cooper, but I, I think he's excellent. I think he really holds the movie up. He he not humanizes Red Pollard, but like he gets that like he's he what, gets Red Pollard to Red soften up a little bit. Yeah, I was gonna say he's almost what Red could have been if. They're, I don't know. They they both took they both take very different approaches to the sport. They're friends. They they both kind of had success. But it's interesting how one is so composed and and professional and and has his life together, or at least that's how it came across. And you know, then Red's just kind of a train wreck in so many aspects. But I, I think it really kind of explained the fraternity of jockeys. The fact that they still got along so well and and respected each other so much even though they were so different in the, in the way they approached their careers. Yeah. It kind of reminds me is like the two guys who go to college together and then one of them gets a nice white collar job with, you know, with benefits has the wife and kids. And then like, he's got his buddy who his wife just hates when he comes to visit. <laughs> he like, he smokes in the house and it's just, it's that, it's that kind of situation. Just two, two very different guys. Uh, the big chill, which this, this movie has a couple of them. Um, mm-hmm. the, the one I mentioned the first time he saw Seabiscuit, when he comes out of the fog, the music starts slowly. It is, it, it, it gets me and it, it's payoff cause it's 45 minutes into the movie. You hadn't seen Seabiscuit yet. Yeah. And I, you know, again, that's one of the reasons I, I think that the movie doesn't feel so long is, is you have a, a handful of these big kind of dramatic chill payoff moments and, and it really does keep you invested in the story right until the end yeah yeah um and then the the scene i get the chills when red's explaining how to race seabiscuit uh that that scene we talked about with george wolf and then um 
when Seabiscuit beats War Admiral, which is, I guess, is your most classic sports movie, big chill kind of scene. And then uh, the end, it's it's Seabiscuit winning the Santa Anita, but it's not really about winning the race as much as it is the, the broken down horse monologue who fixed all of us with the, the soft score playing in the background. You know, everybody thinks we found this broken down horse and fixed him, but we didn't. He fixed us. Every one of us. And I guess in a way, we kind of fixed each other too. I was gonna, the, the score in the movie is so good, and especially that that last scene. It's just such a the, the perfect uh, feeling for I guess the end of the movie. What's your big chill moment? I, I you know we we've talked a. a, a about a, a lot of them. I, for me, you know, one thing I think we don't get enough of in sports movies is, is the ass kicking. Like, you know, a, a lot of times it comes down to the wire or it, it's, you know, nose to nose. I, I, I like occasionally when it's just an absolute drubbing. Uh, and, you know, you get that so rarely in sports movies. It's usually so close. I like when they do something a little different, whether it's, you know, they, they lose, but, you know, uh, in the big picture, they won. Um, I, I, I like those kind of little curveballs, but I, I love when just someone dominates, you know, at, at some point and, and we got that midway through the movie. So I love that. Yeah, it's um, it, it does a really good. I mean, that's the thing with the, the length of the movie and how much they put into the details is that when they want you to have a big chill movie, a big chill moment, it it's there. The The payoff is there. They know it's there. It's kind of like how, how Gavin O'Connor did Warrior. It's how Gavin O'Connor did Miracle. He, he sets you up for those, for those moments. He wants you to, to have the emotional investment. So when it's time for the, you know, the score to be incredible and it's time for you to feel this emotion and feel what multiple characters are going through at that time, that they've put in the work for that. And I think that's probably the most effective part about this movie. Yeah, it's going to play with your emotions and it's going to pull at your your heartstrings and all that stuff. But like you said, they earned it. So I'm fine with it. You know, I I don't think they manipulate the viewer. I think they just really get you to understand the stakes of of what was happening at the time. And and it really made you appreciate the, the emotion that much more. Yeah. Is there anything you would do to improve this one? You know, I, I don't know if it would improve it. Like I said, I, I, I'm a little bummed that the, the betting aspect isn't in there because I, I think it really did help further explain kind of why it was so popular, why people wanted to see the match race, why um, it, it was such a phenomenon, why so many people were kind of vested in it. But I, I don't know. I, I think they, they stuck to the source material really well when they took creative liberties. I, I think it was justified. I think it they did it to really improve uh, the story, not just to make it easier to digest or easier to understand. I, I think there was a, a reason for it. But um, no, I, my favorite uh, sports movies are the, the type where I walk away and I feel like there's no regrets or anything gnawing at me. And anytime I can just watch that movie and, and turn it off and, and feel a little better and a little more inspired and, and motivated and happy. So, uh, yeah, I, I really wouldn't change anything. So a, a category that I usually end the episode with, but I forgot to put on the run sheet is before more store. Would you rather see a prequel, sequel or remake of this movie? I, I don't. I, I would say, you know, a, a sequel, Seabiscuit dies at 14. Spoiler alert, everybody. Uh, 
and you know a prequel is it just none of those i don't think work i don't think a remake you know work either but it does make me you mentioned that something like this might be a a netflix show or a series or something at some point it makes me wish that luck had worked out the uh the show on hbo did you ever check out luck with the dustin hoffman's i i believe first tv like first time he was on tv is is like a series regular yeah, I had almost forgot. It's so hard to find it now. Um, but yeah, no, I, I had gotten into that a, a little bit too. Yeah, then and I think they they canceled it because I think horses were dying on the set. Which yeah, is, I mean, yeah, it's it's not as though it's not as though I'm saying you know I wish they would have you know powered through that because it's really good. But that that would be some. I would. Um, I would be interested in something like that or something taking the themes that you're talking about, the gambling of sports, of uh, horse racing and, and stuff like that, and putting that into a show, especially a period piece. Like if you put it like a, a depression era horse racing show, I would be I would be all in. Yeah, you know, the prequel, sequel, maybe not so much. I, I was thinking about it. I, I think one thing I would love to see a very similar movie uh, look and feel um and, and done the same way, but on, on War Admiral and, and seeing it kind of from that perspective. And, you know, we, we know he was this famous horse. Even now, it, it's one of the few horse names you hear it and, and you know uh, it's a horse and, and, and that it was, you know, a, one of the more popular ones. But I would love to see a, a, a similar movie like that, you know, uh, about him that we got with Seabiscuit. War Admiral is is like the best horse name. It's like the coolest sounding horse name. Yeah, absolutely. Just awesome. <laughs> uh, Dan, thanks for coming on Big Screen Sports. Thanks for talking this movie with me. Uh, tell the folks again where they can follow you. Yeah, I'm uh, Dan Stupp. Uh, all my stories are at uh, PlayVirginia.com. We're, we're covering you know anything uh, gambling related uh, here in the DMV. Uh, District Columbia, Maryland, Virginia. And then uh, I'm on Twitter, Dan Stupp, D-A-N-N-S-T-U-P-P. A lot of gambling stuff, a lot of MMA stuff. Um, so yeah, come check it out. And if you enjoyed this episode of Big Screen Sports, please remember, subscribe wherever you get your podcast, rate, leave a review. If you are interested in talking sports movies, join the Big Screen Sports Facebook group where we do a, a bunch of listener-centric stuff, um, do some listener question episodes from there, stuff like that. Uh, episodes of Big Screen Sports come at you every Monday, as always, presented by the Blue Wire Sports Podcast Network. Next week, we're going to have Fever Pitch, uh, Jimmy Fallon, Drew Barrymore. That that one is uh, very polarizing. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Looking forward to it. Also, if you're a baseball fan, check out my interview series from Phenom to the Farm presented by Baseball America. That comes at you every other Tuesday. And until then, we'll catch you next Monday. Thanks for listening to Big Screen Sports. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.